You're listening to the Doheny Podcast Network. The Doheny Eye Institute, working for all to see. Your host is Jody Becker. In this episode of the Doheny Podcast, we are fortunate to bring you a conversation with Dr. Steve Barnes. Dr. Barnes joined the Doheny faculty earlier this year with an internationally regarded reputation for his research, original thinking, and expertise in the neurobiology of the retina. Dr. Barnes is now contributing to Doheny's innovations in research around macular degeneration, and he's engaged in a range of activities and emerging approaches to vision science. We'll talk about all of that. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks. Great. First, let's hear a bit about the focus of your work here at Doheny. Um, On my docket, I'm very, very interested in the cell environment that arises due to this messy metabolic demand that occurs in in the outer retina around the photoreceptors. I'm working on a very interesting problem where we believe that we've seen evidence that intercellular signaling in part uses this unusual environment. Specifically, I'm referring to the elevated acidity that accompanies the uh, high metabolic need of the cells. And I think we found an intercellular signaling system that takes advantage, in a way, of that environment. It actually changes the intercellular signaling properties by adjusting the acidity. Are you talking about a communication system, essentially? Yeah, I'm talking about communication between, um, actually, between two different types of neurons. So it's it's really very novel, and we're bearing down on it at a rapid pace. I'm very excited by it. Okay, so just to be clear, and probably people who are listening can understand this, you are a PhD and not an MD. So unlike most of the Doheny doctors who see patients and conduct research, your work is exclusively research-oriented, and much of it is related actually to early intervention. Can you explain the connection between some of the research that you were talking about and that we'll be talking about and those evolving treatments? Yeah, that's correct. I'm a PhD, and I'm, I'm, I'm essentially one of the few basic scientists at Doheny right now. So the animal models that I use allow me to delve into the inner workings of individual neurons and cell types in the retina. I get to see how those cells signal within their own uh, cell membrane and as well to see how they signal to each other. And that's really the foundation of, you know, the neural basis of vision as it is expressed in the retina. It's the electrical signals that I I record and I look at how those electrical signals arise. As we understand more and more about the origin of those signals, then we can hopefully pinpoint expressions of potential disease states that reveal themselves in, a, in very early through changes in, these ele- in the electrical signaling. So my hope would be that somewhere down the road, this fundamental research on how the cells signal electrically within themselves and to others, how we could use those signals for very, very early diagnosis or detection of um, a disease state. And are those cells mostly the photoreceptor cells? Certainly the number one cell type in the retina is the photoreceptor because that's the cell that receives the photons of light and begins the process of building an electrical signaling cascade. There are a host of other cells in the retina that process that signal, kind of like a little tiny computer And then finally, the ganglion cells of the retina, which are the output cells of the retina, they send the signal of light reception and light patterns 
up the brain via the optic nerve. Each eye has a million wires coming from it that carry the signal from ganglion cells to other parts of the brain and to the visual cortex where we actually perceive vision. But going back to the retina, yes, it's, it's the number of different neurons that interact, a whole host of different classes of neurons that um, actually do a great deal of processing. So it's more than just photoreceptors. So in the work that you're talking about, are you describing work at the molecular level? Part of it is at the molecular level because those very electrical signals that I'm referring to come about from the activity of molecules in the individual cell membranes. These are proteins that are highly specialized, common throughout other types of neurons, a vast array of different types of these proteins. They're called ion channels, and they, they control and allow the flow of electrical current through the cell membrane that gives rise to cell signaling, the excitability that eventually gives us the perception of light. So I'm curious if we were able to come and visit you in your lab and take a little field trip, could you explain what you're working on now or what we might see in your lab? In my lab, I image individual neurons under very strong, very powerful microscopes. And oftentimes we take advantage of genetic labels that my collaborators at UCLA have put into those neurons to allow us to pick them out from the thousands of cells that we see when we look into a retina. And my lab specializes in recording from single cells. So we identify a cell either on the basis of, of its structure or on the basis of a genetic indicator that's already been um, expressed in the cell. And then we manage to put a very, very fine electrode onto that cell. And with a variety of other interventions, we can isolate different types of ionic flow in and out of the cell and analyze the properties of that with the goal of bringing this understanding a vision of how the, the cell actually works together. Since we work in, in whole retina, where the cells are still connected to each other, the photoreceptors connect to bipolar cells and those cells connect to ganglion cells, um, we can record multiple cells at the same time or individually and look at how signals are passed from one cell to another via the release of neurotransmitters. We also use a technique called calcium imaging, which is a surrogate for gauging the electrical activity in cells. Calcium within a cell is um, something we can detect with a variety of different dyes and other genetic means. So we can see the activity of the cell through changes in calcium concentration in that cell. Calcium also turns out to be a very, very important element in the initiation of cell loss in diseases of cells where the cells die. Typically, those diseases, when the cell dies, involve an overabundance of calcium. So that's so, a disease uh, marker that you're looking for. Yeah, that would be um, one of the major um, outcomes um, of dysfunction in a cell that would lead to a blinding disease. So just to circle back for a moment to indulge my own curiosity, you talked about you can attach an electrode to a cell. Can you describe how that is done? Um, sure. It's through a microscope and we use infrared imaging techniques so that we can see the cell and the electrode at the same time without interfering with the light sensitivity of the cell. And depending on how we make the recording, we can either observe the activity of the ensemble of 
thousands and thousands of these ion channel proteins in a single cell, or we can record the activity of a single ion channel, which is in effect then looking at the activity of a single protein molecule. We can see that single protein open and close its ionic pore. There's no higher level of resolution that one can achieve um, looking at molecular activity. And the cells in the retina are the most metabolically active in the body. So what does that mean? Why is that significant? Well, it's an extremely important point. The photoreceptors in the outer retina are essentially constantly in a very active state. And neurons in an active state um, use a lot of energy to maintain what we call ionic gradients. They have to maintain sodium and potassium and calcium and other ions at appropriate concentrations inside themselves and judge the concentrations of ions outside of the cell. So to be active pretty much all the time, these cells, photoreceptors specifically, use a huge amount of energy to maintain these ionic gradients. And is that stressful? It is because the cell itself is the one that has to make the energy to maintain these proper ionic conditions. And so as the cells struggle to keep up with this constant need for more energy, a number of byproducts are produced. Oxidizing species, acidity, other factors are created that go along with the production of this energy. And in the long term, those byproducts appear to be deleterious to cell function. So you arrived at Doheny about six months ago, but actually your work here preceded you because you are engaged in a project with a UCLA Stein-affiliated professor. Can you tell us a little bit about that work? Sure. During the period when I was a professor, actually at a university in eastern Canada, I was involved in a 10-year collaboration with Professor Nick Brecka at UCLA. And I chose that collaboration based on a very successful sabbatical year that I spent with his laboratory. I was trying to expand my um, scope of what kinds of research I did. And his laboratory in particular was really looking deeply into mouse retinal models. And I could see that there was going to be a good future for me to follow up with my biophysically oriented studies in the anatomical models he was, he was building. Did you say mouse? M-O-U-S-E? I did. Mouse. Can you explain that? Well, I had not had extensive work that I was doing in, in, in mice. Um, I had used other animal models. And the writing was clearly on the wall. It's been on the wall for a long time because of the genetic opportunities available in breeding mice and altering their genome. And so I knew that that would be a very, very important direction to move. Um, Nobody pretty much that was doing electrophysiology on the cells that I worked on was using mouse at the time because it was so difficult. But I thought working with this professor's laboratory, I can probably make some progress because they're very good at identifying the cells. And when we began working together, it became really the perfect collaboration because his laboratory at UCLA worked on the structure of the mouse retina, and I work on the function 
of the retina. And so I was able to extend my studies into function of how mouse retina works as a, a very standard mammalian model. Changes in technology, I imagine, are accelerating your work and probably mostly around imaging and diagnostics. Can you give us some insights into that? We've pretty much hit the ceiling with regard to this electrophysiological recording technique that I just described to you using electrodes looking at single protein channels or or single cells. But we have another technological approach that we use commonly right now that holds great promise for the future, and that is optical imaging of the activity of single cells. So I've already mentioned calcium imaging, and that's the the easy one to go for. But there are other approaches that one will be able to use in the future um, and already are being used to monitor the electrophysiological properties of cells without actually putting an electrode in them, just simply putting a dye in them. So that dye, which would be stimulated by light and then fluoresce, and the fluorescence of the dye would tell us the degree of activity that's going on in the cell, we would be able to then look at the activity of different cell types in the retina, individual cells being able to identify those cells, and judge their functional state. This would ultimately be a completely non-invasive activity. Um, It would just involve having a dye being expressed in a cell, and there's a number of ways to express dyes, um, these indicators in cells. Um, So it's, it's conceivable that not too far down the road, we would be able to put a dye into someone's eye and then literally see the activity of all of the individual neurons. Um, We could pick the types using the right kind of microscope and see what the activity of those cells looks like. It might provide a window into the early detection of a dysfunction that is occurring in those cells. And is that capability partly because of increased options with the amount of resolution on the images? It's a combination of, of exactly that, better microscopes, better microscopic techniques offering greater resolution, but it also involves better chemicals, these dyes, and genetic techniques to express these indicators in cells. These, these techniques are being used already in models of neurons, and I mean, in real neurons from non-human uh, models for study. So it's, it's something that's coming along. It's not yet something you would do in a human, but it's, it's coming close. So as you're speaking about things that are coming along, is there anything on the horizon that you're particularly excited about? Well, I'm very excited by voltage-sensitive dyes, because these ones bypass this um, surrogate I referred to as calcium, which shows the level of cellular activity through how much calcium is built up within a cell. Um, The voltage-sensitive dyes will allow us to essentially see the electrical excitability of, for example, ganglion cells as they make action potentials and signal the reception of light. Dr. Stephen Barnes, thank you so much for joining me, and I hope you'll come back. Great. That was a pleasure. Thank you very much. The Doheny Eye Institute at the forefront in eradicating eye disease for nearly 70 years, is dedicated to providing state-of-the-art clinical services and supporting leading researchers in the quest for treatments that stabilize and improve the precious sense of sight. Doheny is now affiliated with UCLA Stein Eye Institute. For more information about our doctors and their innovative work in the 
quest for better vision, visit our website, doheny.org.